Hello, I'm Michelle Carlo, and this show is Fish Out of Agua. Last week, my family found themselves trapped in the middle of a cross-apartment voodoo war, and I learned just in the nick of time that drug dealing was neither a viable or desirable career choice. Meanwhile, there was this going on across the pond in the United Kingdom. It seemed many people didn't care very much for their elected leader, Prime Minister Margaret the Milk Snatcher Thatcher. <laughs> Sound familiar to anyone? And a whole new form of what I would like to, what I think is protest music had arisen, mirroring the burgeoning punk movement in the United States at the same time. It remains to be seen today how or if the current U.S. political situation will be addressed musically as succinctly as this song from the Sex Pistols in desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute, who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comfort, sir. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. And the Union workhorses. Are they still in operation? Both very busy, sir. Those who are badly off, then, must go there. But many can't go there, and many would rather die. <laughs> if they would rather die, they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. That was a quote from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, which was published in 1843. 
just substitute, <clears throat> you know who, number 45, for Scrooge, and here we could be again. I wonder if those who have ears ever heard the saying, if you don't let us dream, we won't let you sleep. There's a play by that same name, by a playwright named Anders Lustgarten. The play may have lacked drama, as one critic put it, but the sentiment doesn't. And I'm sure someone, somewhere, perhaps in our very own Brooklyn, USA, is at this very moment writing the equivalent of this song by The Clash.
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. We're going to mix it up a little this week and bring you our Fish Out of Agua guest artist interview for the week now. If you've been listening to the show, you'll know that I was born in Washington Heights and lived there for a time when I was little. And I've always been quite proud to have begun in that hood, and even prouder to know this woman, who has brought her own bit of revolution, an educational one, to that very neighborhood just a few blocks north of where I lived long ago. Take a listen. Hey, it's Michelle Carla with Fish Out of Agua's guest interview of the week. And I'm sitting here in this clandestine little back room full of books. Oh, my God. It's like total book orgasm in here um, with a woman that whom I've known for about six years now. And um, she is an, an arts entrepreneur and an organizer and an activist and a mom. And she's an amazing lady who co-founded the, a start, little startup bookstore that was only supposed to be for one month in Washington Heights, and it's been about six years now. So please welcome the Fish Out of Agua, Veronica Lou. Thanks, Michelle. I'm happy to be here. Oh, my God. That was like the biggest introduction ever. <laughs> so um, let's talk about how we met. We met uh, in, I think, the summer or fall of 2011 yes. when uh, you were doing a memoir writing workshop at the old location for Word Up Community Bookshop which is the bookstore that I started originally as a pop-up shop, but uh, with so much community support, it kept going and going and going until we got extension after extension. And eventually, you know, next thing we knew, we'd been at that location for a year. That's right. I remember that. I remember the Mm one-year anniversary. Yeah, but then within those first couple of months, when we first, I think, got our, within our, you know, after our first extension, we, we opened in June 2011. We were supposed to close July 2011, uh, but, there, you know, as I said, there was a lot of community support. People were contacting their local politicians who were then, you know, call, calling the landlord saying, you know, we really want to support this place. Uh, is there any way you can, you know, keep it open for a little longer? Because at that point, the, the first those first few months, we, we didn't we didn't pay any rent. It was actually a rent free space that we got um, through, you know, a deal facilitated by Northern Manhattan Arts Alliance. Oh, um, and we had, you know, so we had this space and. We had, you know, when I started it uh, with a group of people, a lot of different organizations and collectives um, and individuals I knew in the area, um, I said, you know, we should all come together and just make use of this space nonstop so that people really know that we need this So space. was a bookstore first and foremost in your mind? The because bookstore, yeah, was first and foremost as a because, thing to do. Because let's talk about the location. Okay, sure. I don't think we, we, we hit home mm-hmm. hard enough on the location. The original pop-up shop, which was like some nail salon or something that you guys got like for a- allegedly only one month, was on Broadway around the corner from 176th Street in Washington Heights, a neighborhood that's pretty much a food desert, right? And a culture desert. You know, like it, it's, it's underserved. When I mean food desert, I don't mean like there's not restaurants and stuff there, but it's like the supermarkets, like, like my mom lives up in the Bronx, and it's like you can find expired yogurt but try finding a crisp apple you know what i mean and like a hundred like fast food coochie frito places but no place to get like produce oh yeah i think that i mean i've heard a lot of people refer to washington heights as a food desert i don't know if i would totally agree because i think that there are places where that really do seem a lot more desert like in terms of Mm. food access but here there are a lot of um there are a lot of grocery stores there are a lot of i mean besides restaurants there are a lot of um just even like fruit carts and stuff like there's 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 actually, 
I think there's a lot, but and there's, there are several green markets that pop up at different times. That's now, but I mean, but um, historically the neighborhood right, was right, not. Right. I mean, I was born on uh, yeah, yeah. 156th Street, right. 157th and Broadway, and there well, was like nada. Yeah, but I think even for you know, I, so I've lived you know in the area for 15 years. I think even in that time, there's been a lot of there are a lot of like places to access, but relative to other spots right. that I think right. I would be right. even more considered food deserts. But, and then in terms of culture deserts, I think that's the thing where I, I actually found that this place was like brimming with um, culture, culture makers, people who were, you know, audience members, yeah, people who were creating so things. Artists live up here because it, it's, the rents are still kind this, of affordable. It was the spaces that were lacking. So it wasn't so much that it was a, like that there was no culture. It's just that it was happening and it's happening, you know, there was so much happening still even really right. in people's living rooms and yes. in their bedrooms. Yes, and, 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 they, and they spaces were, right. are traditionally... Right. Right. Necessarily, and when I mean culture, spaces, what, I, what but... I mean specifically, which I probably should say, is not culture per se, but books, like food for the soul. They're, the closest bookstore before you opened up was like Lincoln Center, probably. Unless there was a Barnes and Noble like way up yeah. in Inwood or something. There was a well. There was there were a couple of uh, Spanish language bookstores in Inwood, but one had closed in two thousand eight. Another closed early two thousand twelve. Um, there was the there was a Columbia Medical you know school textbook store that mm. was close by. That's like a Barnes and Noble basically. Right. And there is Sisters Uptown, which is one fifty six. That's true. Um, That's true. And then there was another bookstore, Jamel Terrace Books, that was open only by appointment or serendipity. Oh wow! But in terms of having you know something that was open quasi regular hours, like really central to the neighborhood, and you know with an event schedule, you know a space for events. Um, there, you know, we. I think that there was there was a need for it. There are so there are almost two hundred thousand people that live above one fifty fifth Street. Uh, there's there's it's a very densely populated area. Yes. So even if there were a lot of bookstores, I think that this place could absorb even more. And also, we really, even though we were most visibly a bookstore, and you know, we really are anchored by bookstore by the books and what they represent and the sort of exchange of the mind that they provide. Uh, we also, you know, we're, we're basically a community center in disguise. You know, we have oh, you yeah. know, the events that we do are, you know, beside, you know, we've done a lot of workshops. We are, yours being one of the early ones. Like, a, it was a memoir writing workshop, I yes. think, for kids. Even. Yes, I remember that. It was, it was shortly after my book, Fish mm-hmm. Out of Agua, came out. And I think, I don't know how I came upon your name. It was a serendipitous day. But I remember calling and asking, would you like to do this event? And you guys said, yeah. And I went up and did it. And, like, the rest is history. And, like, I'm still working with you guys years later. Yeah. And I couldn't be happier. Yeah, and I think the, otherwise, the lo- longest-running event we have on the calendar because, you know, we were open for about a year at that original location, then we closed and then did just, you know, events around the neighborhood while we fundraised and looked for more, another, you know, location. And then we opened again in 2013. So I've been at this location now for almost four years. Yeah. Uh, but the, the one event that is carried through since the old location and has been the most consistent is No Name. Yeah, the <laughs> No Name. There is no other event that has been as consistent as No Name. That's amazing. No Name is... um uh a performance collective run by a man named Eric Fetter, who's been doing producing shows for God like totally over 20 years. And I'm lucky enough to be part of it. I curate and host a monthly storytelling segment, which I'm going to be doing a little bit later after mm-hmm. this interview. But one of the things that I... Two, two things that I really love about Word Up. A, the fact that you opened up a freaking bookstore where there was no bookstore. But B, you were bilingual from the get-go. 
You were English, Spanish from the get-go. We had Russian books yeah, represented a lot that's in true. that first location, it, too. Then multilingual. Then, mm -hmm. then, then I stand corrected. Multilingual from the get-go. And the other thing that I admire so much is that the, the grassroots activism that that surrounded you guys to keep you from being uh, evicted when after your supposed one-month term was up. You said that there were community activists involved and people like went to the local politicians. So mm -hmm. like, so that kind of thing works. You see that, people? Like, if you like protest and or, or like try to get together to make something happen, it does happen. Yeah. It can happen. Well, I think it really, the fact that once we were there and... At the local level, man. That's, that's, like, that's like fresh shit. Yo, give me a... Yo, give me a mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that is like the freshest shit. Yeah, I think one thing that became obvious once we opened was that we were filling a need that some, a lot of people didn't even... You know, a lot of people realized that we, there, that need was there, but other people who hadn't even realized that the, that gap was there... Right. ...suddenly like, could see it because like, of like You because don't know we that you it. love it and you want this until you've had it because it's like, it's, it's like growing up without a parent. You don't know what it's like to grow exactly. up without a parent, so you so you don't miss the the void until so, you meet somebody mm -hmm. who kind of like will take the place, like an in law or an auntie or something, and then you realize that it's not the same, that there's still like this void there. Yeah, I mean yeah. something that happened uh, right before we, like you know, about a year before we opened, a year and a half, was the library that's actually closer to the second location. The uh -huh. library, the Washington Heights branch library, had closed for oh renovations for a year and a half, and it was supposed to be a year and a half actually, but it was closed for three or four years. So we opened in the middle of that. And we, you know, not right away, but we had some kids coming through, you know, who had had known the library and then it didn't have access to it or, you know, weren't trekking to the other library or um, people who, kids who just didn't even have the experience of a library because their school library was... Uh, being used as a classroom. There are a lot of co-located schools in this area. Uh, there's a lot of like overcrowding. <laughs> and so come, sometimes two or three schools are located in the same building. And sometimes when that happens, the first room that's sacrificed is the library. Yes, of course. So, you know, we people were coming, administrators from the schools were coming over and saying, oh, look at this place. Look, you know, it's run by volunteers. There's books everywhere. Can you guys come over to our library and try and help us? do something with it i'm like what is that supposed to mean because you know it's Help just like yeah. we're like a bunch of neighbors who pulled together to open this bookstore and art space but you know different different you know groups of us would go and to you know with the assistant principal or the principal to these um schools and we'd see the situation which is that sometimes there was a library but no like checkout system or no it had been used as a classroom for so long or as like a flex room or you know in some cases they're were really nice libraries, but there were no um, librarians because right. of just cuts in that realm. And and it was it seemed and it still seems actually preposterous on <laughs> some level that you know this huge group of volunteers is being approached when you know librarianship is a thing. You know, it's like yeah. you can go to school to be a librarian. Yeah, There's I, a lot to I know. I have a friend that spent a lot of money getting her master's yeah. at Pratt for it, like a right. lot of money, and she's working now. Yeah. But like the, one of the other things that I think and, is so cool yeah. about Word Up is that you're completely volunteer run. Yeah. Right. It's 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 like you're just like the most cooperative co-op type of thing ever. It's like everybody like has a has a part in it. Yeah. Um. Is this the vision that you and you had um a couple of partners in the beginning? I remember a woman named Inju and I remember a woman named Marianne. Mm -hmm. Um. At at one point there were the three of you together. Was this kind of like what you envisioned, or did or did this concept of the bookstore slash art space slash community center like take off in a way that you didn't expect? 
Oh, it definitely took off in a way we didn't expect. Um, I and you know a lot of the people who we work I've worked with now I really just met after WordUp opened or the week that WordUp was opening or um, you know I think there there are some people among the core group um, mm. who who have still been around since then. But you know I think the the great part about this being having been a volunteer run thing is that you know it's like a self selecting thing. All the people that gather are and have you know help build WordUp are people who all want it to exist, who all need a place to be sort of communing with their neighbors over and it um, in a space that isn't necessarily like overtly commercial um, right. or is pressuring you to buy something in order to sit and talk to somebody. Like someone could come in here and do their homework. Oh, Some, definitely. Someone could yeah. just like come in here and just like browse some books and sit at a table and read because they want to get out of the cold right. for a half an hour. Yeah, we're very similar to a library in that way, except that, you know, I think there's even a little more freedom. Like you can you can talk a little louder, you can do, you know, in certain spaces. It, there's like a casualness to it. And a lot of the stuff that's around is, you know, there's art. It seems very homemade here. If you've ever, you know, if you should come visit. The you space. come visit um, on the but, corner of 165th and Amsterdam. Yes. Um, and wordupbooks.com is like where you can get yeah. the information on the hours. But yeah, it's the whole sort of library feeling that makes me feel like um, I, I worry that there's right now a proposal on the table that the Inwood Library might close for a short time in order to um, for there to be, you know, a for, um, like a housing pro um, development to be mm. built like in conjunction with it. And in the meantime, you know, the library would be sort of moved to a storefront. And I feel like that seems so similar to what happened with, um, you know, the branch that's near here, except that what we found is that we, we couldn't even absorb all of the you know, everything that was going on, everything that people were requesting, everything that people needed. I mean, there's no way even still we've been able to sort of fill that need, even as this like very vibrant, very, you know, enlarging group, you know, yeah. ever growing group of volunteers yeah. who can fill this space. If anything, we need both, you know, fully functioning libraries at all times, but also yes. more bookstores more. and more storefronts, more and gathering spaces. Now, let me ask you a question. As a mom, what do you feel about... Um, if, do you feel that education is being threatened now with the current political climate? What Do you oh, have definitely. any concerns or worries about that? That libraries will close, bookstores will close? What What are your concerns about that as a mom? Uh, you know, there's all kinds of concerns, especially with, you know, today's confirmation of Betsy DeVos. But, yeah. uh, uh, today, today is, a, it's is it February, February 7th. 7th. 6th. 7th. 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 Um, but you know, I think 2017, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there are so many more considerations I've made, you know, for all of these things I've been working on for the past five year, half years because of now the existence of Lester, you know, now I have to be paying attention more to what's happening specifically in schools yeah, and with yeah. education and stuff. But at the same time, I'm glad that this place exists. I'm glad that word up yes. exists, that he can grow up in a place where it's a very, very mixed group of people who, you know, mixed in terms of everything, you know, race, ethnicity, ethnicity race, um, economic status. Yeah, it's a really, really yeah. um, mixed group of people in a, in a great way. And I think that that's really important. Growing for, up in yeah. your mom, it's a proprietor of a bookstore. Like how friggin' cool is that? You know, one of the things that I love the most of doing the storytelling show here is that, um, you know, not not just that I um, when Eric asked me to if I would do it I'm like happy because like I was born in this neighborhood I've lived here on I lived here in, in the Heights on and off till I was about five or six years old, but um, and but the thing that I love the most is that when we're doing the storytelling like there's kids 
teenagers from the neighborhood. I'm not going to mention them by name because, like, but you, you know who I'm talking about. There were a couple of teenagers. They're here all the time. And it's so cool. I mean, these, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. these guys are like, now they're in ninth grade, but they started coming in seventh grade. Like, their teacher brought them. And, like, they get up and they perform at the open mic all the friggin' time. And it's just, like, the coolest thing. Mm-hmm. It's the coolest thing. Like, I, I wish that there would have been something like this in the Bronx when I was growing up. Yeah, that's a thing that I love. I love that some kids have come in. Some kids who came when we first opened this location and they came a lot to do homework um, and then they stopped because, I don't know, they moved to, you know, to high school or something. But I've seen a couple of kids over time come in and show their friends around. And like, oh, yeah, there's this place. Oh, yeah, I used to do, you know, homework here. Oh, yeah, you can sign the guest book here. I signed. Oh, yeah, this is a new copy of the guest book. I signed one, you know, two years ago. You know, <laughs> And I, they talk about it like, you know, they're you know it's like old hat you know like they've they've been here done that and they yeah. just wanted to show you around and stuff and i i love the fact that it became such a like a mundane part of their existence right like, it, it, because it, it, it should you know like hopefully this right. kind of stuff you know books, will infuse. books and kids yeah. it's like the best thing it's the best thing so veronica um let, let let's let's uh wrap up here i want to ask you two last questions before before we wrap up what is your greatest hope for word up in the coming few years and what's your greatest fear my greatest hope is that we can become really a permanent fixture in the neighborhood, uh, that we can be more sustainable. That might mean that we eventually have, um, that we're not completely volunteer run so that somebody can be, you know, sort of raising a lot more money in, in our grants and running a building. But I think we all really want to have a building. Yes. And, and your greatest <laughs> um, fear? Greatest fear? Um, uh, Ten more we'll, to less. That will, yeah, well, that... Um, I don't know, the forces that be will somehow sort of lose the mix that we have yeah, going. Yeah, to have it all taken I, away, I, I yeah, guess. Just like yeah. not, I, I want to really make sure that the balance is maintained. And so, that we, we don't, you know, that that Word Up still serves the neighborhood in, in terms of people that already are here, that, you know, there there are people that move in all the time, but we want to make sure that we're... Um, we're like also serving and like amplifying the voices of people that already are here. And once again, the address... 2113 Amsterdam Avenue, the corner of 165th Street. And your online online presence? Wordupbooks.com. With Veronica Liu. Thank you. And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. In 1978, when this next story of Fish Out of Agua happens, New York City was trying to shake off a very tumultuous year. The 44 caliber killer, also known as Son of Sam, had terrorized the city for nearly two years, killing six young people and wounding or maiming seven others. Three days after my birthday, the infamous blackout that left parts of the eastern seaboard without power for over 24 hours happened, and threw some neighborhoods into a decline it took decades to reverse, if at all. In October of that year, during Game 2 of the World Series between the New York Yankees and Brooklyn Dodgers, this exchange happened between ABC announcers Keith Jackson and Howard Cosell as one of the cameras covering the game cut to a shot of a large fire raging out of control in what was later found out to be PS3, a nearby public school. Jackson, that's a live picture. Obviously, a major fire in a large building in the South Bronx region of New York City. That's a large picture. That's a live picture. 
and obviously the fire department in the Bronx have their... a problem. My goodness, that's a huge blaze. Cosell, that's the very area President Carter trod just a few days ago. About nine minutes later, the camera showcased the fire again. Howard Cosell, that's a live shot again of that fire in the South Bronx that Keith called to your attention just a few moments ago. Wonder how many alarms are involved. But as Keith said, the fire department really has its work cut out for it. I'm Howard Cosell, speaking of sports. But urban legend would soon take that over. And soon, many people, countless people, all over, would swear on their hair that they heard Howard Cosell say on national television, Ladies and gentlemen, the Bronx is burning. Can't make that up. Also in 1978, just two months later, New York City went from burning to frozen in the great northeast blizzard of 1978, which buried the northeastern United States from New Jersey up to Massachusetts that February with hurricane-force winds in more than two feet of snow for an unprecedented 33 hours from February 5th through the 7th. No AccuWeather back then, kids, so people had little, if any, time to prepare. Today, the subways get shut down for a flurry, and schools are closed for much less of a snowfall. <laughs> I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Years from now, people are going to wonder how the hell any of us who grew up back then survived it all. Luckily, we had music to make up for it, like these songs from Forest Hill's very own The Ramones.
those two songs from the Ramones were referencing things from back in the day, both of them. Pinhead, Todd Browning's Freaks, a movie from 1932, which was about pinheads and other uh, performers that I believe were in the circus. I haven't seen this movie for a long time, but they were considered freaks until they weren't. And they actually turned someone who was like their main tormentor into one of them. I remember going to see that movie at Theater 80 on St. Mark's Place. Theater 80 is still there now. It's still a theater, but it used to be a revival movie house that would show like the same genre of movies like throughout the year at the same time. So let's just say, well, in the winter, they'd be showing 1930s before the code movies. And we used to go all the time. And well, there are, there's still film forum today that does revivals. So at least that still exists in New York. And then after that was 53rd and 3rd, which was about the corner of 53rd Street and 3rd Avenue in Manhattan, which was known as a male hustler spot back in the day. Today, that corner of 53rd Street and 3rd Avenue is where the Citibank building is. And it's kind of hard to imagine hustling going on in that corner today, isn't it? Well, but then again, who knows what goes on in Manhattan at night? (laughs) Hell, who knows what goes on in Manhattan at all? I certainly didn't. At least not really when this next story of Fish Out of Agua happens. And here we go with Chapter 27 of Fish Out of Agua. It's a story called Heat. The year 1977 had been a pivotal year for New York City. We had survived the blackout. Son of Sam was finally caught. Reggie Jackson also known as Mr. October, became a candy bar. And to top the year off, right before Christmas, the boiler in my family's apartment building exploded. It burned out the ground floor apartment directly above and left the rest of the double building without heat or hot water for the entire winter, precipitating a a grassroots tenants organization, a rent strike, and perhaps maybe a slight spike in the building's birth rate the following September. (laughs) Well, to me, that was the least of it. Because unless you grew up so far north that living in a five-story igloo was considered normal, you cannot imagine the multitude of misery entailed with living through a no-heat and no-hot-water New York City winter. The indignity of taking sponge baths in the kitchen behind a makeshift curtain and watching the ice inside the window melt while your father and brother hollered at you to hurry up was horrible. Especially when, in the middle of this sponge bath, you got your period. Or imagine the smell a four-room apartment takes on after the oven has been on at 400 degrees every single day for over the month, for over a month. And then you get your period again. And meanwhile, while my younger brother Kevin and I were going to bed every night looking like refugees, wearing every sweater we had, three pairs of socks, and these fingerless gloves my father had made us, my mother tooled around in shorts and a t-shirt. She had her own personal combustion system keeping her warm that year, a continuous hot flash that lasted basically the entire winter. You could actually stand next to her and feel it. And not only did she not complain, but she was not phased one little bit at being at least five years too young for this middle age milestone. Nope, 
Mom declared it was God's will that gave her the change of life that year as opposed to any other. And, since she seemed to be so cool with it, Kevin and I gave her an orange t-shirt for Valentine's Day. It was from the neighborhood head shop, and it had a lightning bolt iron-on on the front that said, Hot Mama. She didn't think it was funny. And, of course, it was all my fault. Wait till this happens to you, she said as she threw her chancletas, her slippers, at me. You think you're going to be young forever? Get out of my sight! Well, um, yeah, I was almost 18, well, 17 and a half, and at that point in my life, I did actually think I was going to be young forever. And I certainly didn't mind going out, as it was actually warmer at the park than it was in the apartment. So when I got to the park, to the playground, to St. Peter's Park, my friends were crowded around the neighborhood nut job, Crazy Marie. None of us really liked Marie, but she had started hanging out at the park a couple of years before, and everyone let her because everyone was kind of afraid of her. She had bleached blonde bangs, Clairol, not Clorox like Nikki years before. She had a tattoo of a scorpion, her astrological sign, on her chest bone, and six, count them, six piercings in her left ear at a time when even the most rebellious girl among us only wore three earrings, that would have been me, and when the only acceptable girl tattoos were the Led Zeppelin four Zopho symbols, butterflies and roses, either on your shoulder blade or adorning your right or left hip bone. Every time Marie got stoned, she would walk around saying she was a tree, and once she took some blotter acid and she sat on the ground and chanted the names of every species on the eastern seaboard. Plus, she wouldn't listen to Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, or even to Who anymore. And she was always trying to get us to go downtown with her, to Manhattan, to hang out. None of my friends went to Manhattan to go out in those days, unless it was to Madison Square Garden, a Dr. Pepper concert in Central Park, or Lazarium, the rock and laser light show at the Hayden Planetarium. The closest most of us had ever been to a real rock club were the blood bars on Valentine Avenue where Twisted Sister used to play. And they sucked. Ah, and then there was Detroit, up in Port Chester. Yeah, people used to go up there to see Rat Race Choir. Only, they kind of sucked too. Mary looked up from the joint she was lighting and said, Oh, come on, guys, man. We have to go to heat. The club is so hot. The bands are so hot. The guys are so hot. And Johnny Thunders is playing tonight. Whoa, man, he is so hot. Come on, man. Don't be faggots. Who's coming with me? All I heard was the name. Heat. I didn't know who or what Johnny Thunders was, and I didn't care. The frozen core of my brain pictured a Hawaiian-themed palace with bikinis, thatched umbrellas, and flaming drinks. It didn't matter that I wouldn't be legal, 18, for another five months. Huh, all I needed were, were my high heels and my fake ID. And then I could be warm.
I'll go, I said. Wicked, Mary said. Meet me at seven o'clock show, yeah. Nikki and Dawn couldn't believe it. What are you, crazy? You don't know what they do in Manhattan. I didn't care if they tattooed and pierced their totos. All I thought was that, that after two and a half months of freezing, I was finally going to be warm. And I didn't, del- I didn't dare tell Marie that this would be the first time I'd go into Manhattan by myself. Well, without a crowd. With just one other person. I met Marie at seven o'clock that night. We smoked a bone and hopped on the number six train. And the entire ride downtown, Marie talked about seeing bands I had never heard of, with people I didn't know, and how the second she turned 18, she was going to go live in the village. Uh, Good for you, I said. But I thought, oh, come on, man, I just want to get some heat and go home. Finally, we got off the train at Bleecker Street, and I had no idea where we were. The neighborhood, the surrounding neighborhood, wasn't the 21st century so-hopeless shopping mall East Soho is today. Nope. It was dark, it was scary, and it was dirty. Of course it was. Only artists and drug dealers dared to live there. After slipping along slushy cobblestone side streets in my open-toed candies, the only high heels I had, which I was wearing with tube socks, because even I wasn't going to go barefoot in February, Marie had changed direction, cursing, several times, until finally she grabbed my hand and changed direction again. Uptown, downtown, east, west, I had lost all sense of direction, until suddenly Marie grabbed my hand once more and steered me through a doorway. If this was a club, it was narrow, and it stank. It was dark, and it was freezing. A slightly chubby older girl with bleach-blonde hair and hairy armpits, who was making a big show of not checking IDs at the door wearing her wife-beater T-shirt, asked me where I got her gloves, my gloves. My dad made them, I said, as I staggered past her and to a long, black, crowded bar towards a dim yellow light at the end of the room towards salvation, warmth. You don't understand. I had been continuously cold for about three months, and my Caribbean DNA leaves me predisposed to lying naked and indolent under palm trees, not wearing my entire winter wardrobe in a cold bar that smelled like hot piss. As I got to the stage, I got a glimpse of the singer. He was short. He was skinny and he was nodding out against the mic stand. His mouth and fly were both wide open, and his entire penis was just hanging out. And and I mean hanging, basically, just hanging there, like right in front of my face. And I had never seen a naked adult penis that close before. It looked much bigger than what I had ever felt through my clothes the few times I had actually made out with a boy. At first, the sight was kind of scary, but then again, after I took another look, I had to admit, Mary was right. If this was Johnny, whoever he was, he was kind of hot. But as I leaned in for a closer look, 
I heard yelling, and I reluctantly turned around to see May Ree fist-fighting with the biggest, ugliest woman I had ever seen in my life. Oh, come on, baby, the woman said. I wouldn't have worn a dress if I knew I was going to see you tonight. Look, look what Mama got for you. And then she lifted her pink and black, satin and lace, Laverne and Shirley-looking prom dress to reveal the second naked adult penis I had ever set my eyes on. Marie yelled, Rah! Get away from me, faggot! And then the whatever it was ripped off a long, tangled, blonde wig and took off the biggest pair of candies I had also ever seen. Who you calling faggot, faggot? She yelled, and then she threw the shoes at us. I didn't have time to be shocked. All I could process was that I had gone all the way to Manhattan just to have another crazy person throw footwear at me. I tried to turn back to the stage where the still-exposed singer had now fallen over, but Marie grabbed me by the hand and pulled me through the club back out into the street. Wait, Marie, wait! I lost my gloves, I said. Well, fuck your gloves. You want to get killed? Marie yelled from two steps ahead of me. And that's when I saw there were three of them chasing us now. Three of the biggest, ugliest creatures I had ever seen, wearing ripped-up 1950s prom dresses and moth-eaten furs, cursing and throwing their shoes. Luckily, one of them fell over a garbage can, and they gave up the chase to help their friend, still screaming, Who you calling faggot, faggot? I took one last look behind me, and I saw the white awning above the door said, CBGB, O-M-F-U-G. When we got back to Bleecker Street train station, I asked Marie, CBGBs? I thought the place we were going to was called Heat. Yeah, man, well, I uh, forgot where it was, so uh, we went to CBs instead. Oh, and, and, and who was that? I asked, meaning the passed out with his cock out guy on the stage. What, man? You never seen a tranny before? Huh? Tranny. You know, transvestites, he, she's, TVs. Fucking bunch of man She paused and then said, Girl, you gotta get out of the Bronx more. <sighs> Actually, I never wanted to leave the Bronx ever again. When I got home, my mother was in the down, was downstairs in the building lobby waiting for me. The trains had been slow, and I was over an hour past curfew. She pushed me up the stairs ahead of her. Do you know what time it is? Where have you been? Hanging out with Marie and a TV. She took off her she took off her chancleta and swatted it at me. I didn't care. It was the truth. And the slipper, at least, was warm. A few years later, I was at a video club called the Cat Club, with Marie, who had become one of the few people from St. Peter's Park I was still friends with. She pointed to the screen and said, Hey, Shao, doesn't that look like that girl in that club that night? I looked up, expecting to see a tranny. They were no big deal to me anymore. Hey, I was going to art school. But instead, there was a much thinner, 
much blonder, much less hairy version of that non-ID checking girl riding on a boat in a canal, wearing a wedding dress and fingerless gloves. Was it? Could it have been? The same girl who had complimented my homemade gloves, thanks to my dad, at that club door years before? Could it be that maybe I unwittingly gave away the hottest trend of the 1980s on a cold winter night in 1978 in a club I thought was called Heat? I'll never really know for sure. But what I do know is that my mother would later find out she had been suffering that winter not from menopause, but from the side effects of one of her latest meds and would not go through actual menopause for another five years. And, maybe coincidentally, and maybe not, but also after that winter, she now only would speech out the window, or in the house, a few times a year. In any case, I know that she has saved the orange t-shirt with the lightning bolt for me for when my time of heat comes. I know that time is soon, and sometimes, on a really chilly night, I can almost feel it, and it makes me think of, yeah, there was a time when I thought I was going to be young forever. I would get to see Johnny Thunders a couple of years later, but by then, things weren't the same with him, or with me. In memory of John Anthony Genzal from East Elmhurst and Jackson Heights. Rest in peace. And this song is You Can't Put Your Arms Around the Memory from 1978.
our show. This has been Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. If you like what you heard today, sponsor us. You could do it for as little as a dollar per episode. Almost as much as an entire pint of beer cost back in 1978, people. Just go to the Fish Out of Agua page on RadioFreeBrooklyn.com, click on the green Sponsor the Show button, green for money, and let Patreon take care of the rest. Stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next, and we'll leave you with uh, this song that would perfectly capture how I would be feeling by the end of this year. Blank Generation from Richard Hell, who actually you will see appear in a later episode. See you next week. Take it or leave it each time